has a second parcel here and it's not ringing enough for me. So if you're ready, we'll gavel this to order. Um, Sheldon Thwaites, Andre White, and uh, Yuko Asada, welcome. Um, you know, this is uh, seems like now everybody and and their mom has a podcast, and now Yuko and I do. Um, but I, we're gonna I'm gonna just be blunt and straightforward here. You all are a big inspiration to us. Um, and really? we were just we were just talking a little bit prior to sort of getting on the record here about the Rangers Corner and and what you guys have been doing and sort of lamenting a little bit about being on Zoom so much. Um, but the other thing is that I've actually seen more of the New York and Trinidadian, Trinbagonian pan scene and larger Caribbean scene in general than I ever have prior to COVID. And a lot of that, I will say, is my responsibility in terms of just like, you know, I learned when I moved to New York about the community and, and tried to take more active steps to be in the scene during Labor Day and be around and have folks come to NYU and that. But this has been like a real shot and shot in the arm is maybe the wrong phrase to use right now. But like, like it's been a real pick me up to see the the way the culture is being talked about. Some and when I say the culture, it's a thing that I don't have a direct relationship to because of where I was grew up. Same with Yuko. Yuko was born in Japan and lived in Morgan or uh, sorry uh, West Virginia, like, and then landed in NIU and ended up marrying Cliff Alexis and sort of so our sort of tie-ins to Caribbean culture and specifically uh, steel pan culture came at it from very different ways. And this year was a big sort of like eye-opener to look around and watch the Rangers corner and see and then watch the Ramage and see like all of these players coming together and organizing. And I think Yuko and I wanted to do this podcast to I don't want to say highlight our ignorances, but just sort of acknowledge that like if steel band, if steel drum, steel pan culture is an elephant in the world, I've had my hand on like the hip. And I've been like, this is what this is what an elephant is, right? It's like the really rough part. And like, this is great. I love it. It's awesome. And then then you talk to somebody else. I talked to Yuko and she's like holding on to the tail or the trunk and is like, yeah, but this is what an elephant. I'm like, wait a minute. And then I see you guys do it at the Rangers corner and I'm like, this elephant, I don't even know what's on the other side of this thing. And I think for us, we want to spend this hour talking to you guys and just sort of a little bit of like, what don't we know? What are some of the things that are the disconnects? Like why, how can we make everybody's hands feel all parts of the elephant? I think is sort of what we're trying to go for here. And knowing that that's kind of an impossible task and we're not going to do that all in one hour. Um, right. but if that feels like an okay sort of jumping off point, I kind of, um, in Yuko, obviously we've, we've chatted and if you want to just interrupt me, just start talking and I'll shut up. But, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe, um, Andre, why don't we start with you? Can you just tell maybe Yuko and I a little bit about baby Andre, Andre, and what, what sort of pinballed you into the sort of chair that you're sitting in right now, um, as a, as a pan player, as an arranger, as a musician like all of those things and and we'll sort of go from there okay uh sure um where do i start boy that's a i feel like that's a long time already you know kind of, um <laughs> well i mean i grew up in this you know my family being of caribbean heritage you know um i grew up playing in a a, a family-based band in long island for abdus orchestra learning to play there um you know that's kind of always been around me since i was a kid um, started playing there around the age of six. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up in the band, learning how to, you know, develop as a player and just taking an interest and a liking to it. I remember the first time uh, being in the band, you know, they just, you know, they gave me a pair of sticks, gave me a tenor to play, taught me to see scale and put me in a back room. 
And I literally stayed there for like six months playing that same C-scale and trying to, you know, after I got it, you know, for the first two weeks or whatever, they just kept me there. They kind of like forgot about me. So I would listen to them practicing their repertoire and I would be learning the songs in the back room while they were practicing. And like one day, I think, you know, the, the junior captain at the time, which was uh, Franklin Mayer's grandson, Clifton, he came in the back and realized I was playing all the songs with them while they were practicing in the, in the main hall. So he's like, Yo, what, what are you doing back here still? And he poked my pen. And, and that's kind of how that whole situation developed. And then obviously, as I went through the ranks of the band, uh, wanted to be a drummer at one point. And then I met Sheldon. And I said, all right, let's forget that. Uh, <laughs> that also, uh, OK, good. Andre, then you, you, and I, you and I have a lot in common, actually. I, I, when, I, when Sheldon and uh, Sherwin came to NYU um, a couple years ago, I remember, I was, I think I was like, let's play through the tune. And I was playing drums and Sheldon, you just had this look on your face and I, and you, you're very, you were very sweet and it was, but I just knew like, as soon as this song's done, I'm never going to sit in this chair again. And it's probably yeah. for the best. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Andre, just to commiserate with you there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he has that effect, but it's in a good way. You know I mean? He pushes mm. you to, uh, to get better as a musician, but, um, yeah, you know, I wanted to be a drummer and then. I've always, you know, we actually talked about this on the last Rangers Corner. I've always been into creating music, like even from a young age. Like I was writing music without even knowing what I was doing from like the eight to 10. Like I didn't know like the actual theoretical fundamentals of music. I didn't know changes. I didn't know harmonies. I knew, I knew what it was supposed to sound like when I put it together on my little like toy Casio keyboard thing that I got from like when I was a kid for Christmas. And I could play it like my fingers would just naturally be able to put those triads or even sometimes I was playing major sevens, minor sevens and dominant sevens before I knew what they were. So um, I was like creating like whole classical suites just based off like stuff that I would hear from like World Music Festival growing up, listening to them tapes um, and, you know, writing uh, jazz pieces when I was in high school based off of other key, like, you know, classic jazz songs like so what and stuff like that and then you know i was allowed to be the actual full-time arranger for the band of ads of around 2000 and i would say 2007 i was full-time like the arranger but i was doing all the stateside stuff since like 2004 and um and how old would you have been at this time andre sorry to interrupt uh when i took over fully like my first time i was song i was 16 um when i took over fully i was 17 sorry i'm not laughing at you i'm just laughing at where 16 year old josh was like yeah. i was playing kickball, kickball in a walmart parking lot in ohio you know like yeah so, so that, like, where's yeah, middle so, c i don't know right exactly so that was um that was kind of like you know my part-time like you know i would, I would come in from playing basketball all day with my friends sweating and running into the backyard you know putting down music and it's like it's two different worlds you're living in, you know what I mean? Because especially out here in New York, your friends not knowing what the fuck pattern is. Sorry, excuse my language. They don't care what pattern is, you know what I mean? They they just, you know, they live, that's a whole different world you're talking about. And you're going into the pattern, you know, you have to, you know, I, like, like, like I said, I'm 17, 16, I'm having to direct older people, mm. you know what I mean? And give them direction. So it's like, you know, you're changing, you're changing hats really quickly. Um, well, when you say when, yeah, you, when you mentioned that you were when you, you said growing up in a family of Caribbean heritage, um, what is, mm -hmm. specifically for you? What was that heritage? Like, what were the like, was the version? Like, I, so, mean, I don't know what so, Caribbean isn't just both, one thing. 
Right. So both of my parents have Caribbean heritage. My mother's side is Jamaican. My father's side is Trinidadian. Okay. Right. Um, but they all, they like, I'm a second generation. I like neither one of them were born in the Caribbean. Their parents were. Mm. Right. So my grandparents on my mother's side were born in the Caribbean. Same thing for my grandfather. Um, my father's side. And um, but I just grew up with my grand. Like my grand, my parents had me when they was young. So my grandparents were the ones who raised me. I mean, especially on my mother's side, um, where I grew up with them in that household. I mean, and so that music was always there. And then all their friends uh, were in the same community as the band as well. Like I remember my my mother's my grandmother's work friend was a uh, one of the founding members of the deceased George. Shelly, you remember George, right? Cowbell George. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he um they used to work together at a company called Publishers back in the day. So like that old that whole circle, even my babysitter when I was growing up, Miss Tilda, her sons were playing in Adlib at that point. So like it was that whole Caribbean, you know what I mean, community between, you know, there's a lot of Trinidadians, a lot of Guyanese, Jamaicans, obviously. Um so that's you know, that's where I grew up in that culture. And um and it just always been around me. Like always, always, as far as I as far as I could remember, you know what I mean? And then um, when I was young, they used to take me to Trinidad to, to to just, you know, meet like the tuners for the band because we didn't have only, well, let me start over. Our tuners in Adler were two brothers, the Warrells, so Patrick Warrell and Fitz Warrell. And um, one of them used to live in Trinidad, so we used to go and check him to see, uh, you know, about instruments and stuff like that. And then I got introduced to Renegades, CP Renegades youth band from a young age. Um, was playing with them, and then obviously as I got a little older, I started playing with the big band. Um, yeah, man, and then everything kind of just took off from there. As as I as I got more opportunities with the band, I was arranging for Panorama, and then we became successful. And the story wrote itself after that. Well, let, and, and sorry, Yuko, go ahead. I was wondering, like, you know, I wanted to ask you, like, how did you get opportunities to to arrange for, say, Desperados and you know, like how, uh, well, obviously, you know, with Adlib and, you know, winning competitions in New York, mm-hmm. but, you know, like that doesn't happen easily. So. Right. Um, how did Desperados get about? I mean, that's a good question. We're I talking, think we're talking Desperados I, in Trinidad, not Desperados USA, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just, just for Trinidad. folks well, I, so, and for myself, I just want to be clear of, of the band we're talking about. I mean, I remember, okay, so the year prior to me working with them, I just won two Panamas in two different countries within one week. Right. So that was like a that was like a big thing back then for them. You know what I mean? Um and I remember getting the phone call thinking that somebody was playing a trick on me or something like that. Like <laughs> these cats calling me from Trinidad talking about, yeah, this is um Tony from Desperados and you want to know if you wanna I was like, What? Like, call off my phone, son. You talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're talking shit. And then, um, yeah. And then they called back again, and I said, "Yeah, well, let me think about it." I was obviously in the middle of school, and I didn't, you know. So you were a gonna... student. Yeah, I was in Berkeley at that oh, time with Sheldon and Kareem and um, Iman and KJ. We were all in school at that time. So when um when I got that call, I had a lot of decisions to make. I actually ended up taking that semester off because. At that time, before I did Desperados, I was still working with Clico Fozato at the time. I, did, I had just taken over for um, Pop One, right? That was his gig. And he ended up moving on to doing Shazando. Um, 
So this would have been my like, I think this was at that time it was about my third year with them. This is Johan Popwell, oh. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That, this was my third time with Posata, and this is like, by the, yeah, so it's three years since he left the band at that point. And um, so I had a lot of decisions. I had a lot going on that year. And uh, when they called, you know, I was really hesitant because, you know, we know how that community is. Trinidadian community on, on a whole is very traditional, mm-hmm. and they're very, they, they keep, you know, they keep everything in-house as much as possible. Far less for people of Laventil. That is like a total different world, you know what I mean? And I'm, me and Sheldon could touch on many stories about that experience by itself, but those, but people from Laventil is a different... I always say there's Trinidadians and there's Laventilians. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, mean, that's it's... a completely different world, you know what I mean? I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember going to meet with the... It's supposed to be a meeting with the band and the board, it ended up being a meeting with the band, the board, and the whole com- community at Lavento. Oh, wow. Yeah, just think of like some big presidential convention. And there's one set of people there asking one set of questions. And it's quite all types of questions, too. Some don't feel like you're qualified. You're not from here. You're not from there. And it's like, you know, and at the end, I remember them, you know, big praying, gather, like a praying circle. And then I got calls after, like, yo, why you let them pray on top of you? And blah, blah, blah. It, you know, it was, well, it was an experience. This isn't. I mean, I, I, I don't want to leave this, this topic because this is part of why Yuko and I are, are interested in talking. It's like, um, not, not laying a value judgment on any one sort of culture's approach or what, even like a subset of the culture in Trinidad's mm-hmm. approach. Just sort of, just so folks know that that's there. Like, why do you think? I think I have an idea why, but I want to hear from your standpoint. Why do you think Desperados in Laventille particularly has that particular culture? I mean, I'm talking to Kendall Williams, who I who I think I know better than than most other folks in the scene. He's mm-hmm. mentioned to me a hundred times. It's like you know, when I go to Trinidad, they they will call me a foreigner to my face. And right. me and Odie and Mark are not Trinidadians, despite our family history, any of that. Mm-hmm. And there's a mm-hmm. real distinction and. You know, I understand that, but can you explain a little bit deeper why the why Desperados has that particular culture? Well, Desperados culture is 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 very much Afrocentric and, and very rooted in that kind of diaspora, and especially in the the whole Baptist kind of shangle, you know, spiritual yami you know I mean, realm. You know what I mean? So that that by itself, they they they're very pro African. Everything up there is, you know what I mean? That culture. So and 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 that's how they grew up. You know what I mean? Most of the other like when people from people from Laventil, when you when when they tell other people in the country they're from Laventil, there's already a stigmatism in the country itself. Like forget foreigners. Mm-hmm. Within the country itself, when people from Laventil say, Yo, I from Laventil, sometimes people don't even want to tell people that they're from Laventil. I've heard people say that. That's only beat up. People will be like, Yo, nah. Like when you find out like when you're filing to get get position for a job, don't say you're living in Ibiza because there's that stigma, you know what I mean? And then, you know, obviously there's, you know, all kinds of situations going on with crime and, you know, but that's, they have a very, you know I mean? Very tight Afrocentric community up there. That's why they don't really like to, you know, venture. And they, they're for their own. You know I mean, I don't really, you know, I don't, looking back at it now, I don't, you know, I don't give them any wrong. You know, yeah. that's, that's, that's what they know. You know what I mean? That's, that's how they secure their legacy. Well, I, I mean, I mean I, I, although, ahead, although, just to put this this way, because most of the people that 
that was successful for especially Desperados was not from the hill. Like you know I mean, Bradley was not from the hill. Robbie's not from the hill. Was Pat Bishop was not from the hill. Oh, wow. Okay. Beverly. None of them, you know? There's, no, there's one more I'm... piece, though. There's one more piece, though, Drake. You know, there was a big migration that happened where people came from other islands. Grenada. Yeah, there's in, a lot of Grenada. In the Caribbean. Yeah. And so Jamaica. The place, that they, the place that they went to was Laventee to settle. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Look at... I, I don't... Uh, I'm not really sure why. It could be that... I don't know why. I don't know mm. why. It could be that it was more affordable to live like as somebody from a different place. Maybe the job opportunities there. I'm not sure why, but there was a migration that took place. Yeah, a lot of Grenadians. A lot of people. If you ask a lot of the people in Laventil where they came from, they'll say different parties. Some there mm-hmm. are some Trinidadians, mm-hmm. like rooted Trinidadians there, but mm-hmm. of all the other place areas in Trinidad, that probably has the most people from another place. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a friend, um, a Kendall's cousin, uh, sorry, Anthony Phillips. Um, We he plays quads and and invaders, and um, you know, I was mentioning he lives, I think, at the base of Laventille, and his dad owns a shop. I think has a shop in Laventille, and I was like, man, Mm -hmm. I understand the complexities, but that is a place I'd love to go sometime. I'd love to be. I'd love to feel that puff of air from Desperados when they hit that first note. You know, like seeing them perform live last year before the lockdown and. And just seeing the way that lead line plays, like, like I just want to mm-hmm. see that in person. And he just, he just looked at me. and He's like, "Not without me, you're not going up there." And yeah, I well, appreciate well, that. well, like, put it to you this way: they're not even, they're not even going back up there. Mm-hmm. They've relocated, and they, they now in town. Like the government now gave them a place in town because up there it's too dangerous for them mm-hmm. to have a party. Okay, so, okay. you know what I mean. So it's a sad thing, but they love, they love their people. And don't ever get that. Don't don't make don't make that mistake. You know what I mean? Even though they're fighting amongst themselves, like they love their people. You know what I mean, Lavender people will stick to Lavender people always, 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 always. Well, I I pre- I want to drill down on that a little bit more later here, but I want to give the floor to Sheldon a little bit. Um, Sheldon, can you give us a little bit of? I mean, you you guys mentioned that Berkeley is something that the two of you have shared, and that seems to also like. I'm just saying some things out loud. Some things that have poked up to me. Florida Memorial University with Dr. Don Batson seems to be sort of like if I was going to put a pin in the United States of like a hub of where folks from the Caribbean have studied in the U.S., that certainly is one. Um, but then Berkeley seems to be another, and I'm sure there's many others. But can you just tell me a little bit about your experience that, like, what brought you to meet meet Andre? <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. I, I, how did I get introduced to you, Dre? I think Dre sent me a Facebook message on uh, on Facebook Messenger. I wish I, I should look it up, but <laughs> we'll get back to that. And um, you know, at this point in my life, I was a I, I was I was a live wire firecracker. I was young, <laughs> I had some talent. Uh, you know, this was like I was at Berkeley. I was currently at Berkeley. I think I was in my man. Let's see, what year was that? Oh eight, Dre. Oh eight, oh eight. So I was in my that's my soft. I guess going into my junior year, actually, yeah. Whenever you just got back from Greece. Exactly. See, all of that. See, all of that. So I, I had just studied. Should I just abroad. ask Should I just ask Andre what your history is? It seems like he knows nah. it more than you do. <laughs> nah. No, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to put myself in the frame. Because yeah. it, it, there was, there were, honestly, there were so many different things happening to me that had never happened to me at all at the same time. Hmm. So I kind of was just like floating in purgatory, if you will. So... I had just come back from studying five months at the Filippo uh, Nakas Conservatory in Athens, Greece. 
I had just gotten an endorsement with Zildjian. Uh, I let's see what else. Maybe that's that's enough actually. So I was going through a little period, just emotionally and spiritually at that time. Mm-hmm. So when I got Dre's message, I think I was a little bit of a dick to Dre. I can't I can't remember, but I think I was like, you know, I don't know this cat. You know, I, I just pay me this and da 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 da. You know, I was just on that kind of journey. We all go through that journey as musicians, mm-hmm. but I'm honest enough to you know have that conversation. And I didn't even meet Dre when I when I when I went down to Adler to to play drums. I think I met uh, his girlfriend at the time, and she because he was in London working with Mangrove, so we didn't even connect until he got back the week uh, of of Panorama New York, and that was uh, uh what's the name of that song? The Fire song, Dre? <clears throat> heat, Heat, right? Mm-hmm. It was Heat um, in 2008, and. I mean, long story short, we uh, won that panorama. That was the first win. So that was like the inception of, the, of, of our friendship there. So, uh, and then honestly, it just, you know, it just kind of kept going from there. We started working on music together. And then I, I, I went along to perform with Adlib for the next eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, five years. So mm-hmm. I, most of the work that, that Dre did in Trinidad and New York, I was playing drums on, mm-hmm. you know. So that's really how that started. And then that same year, he came up to Berkeley. So it was like a perfect timing. Mm. You know, right after Panorama, we were all at school. Kareem also started that year, Kareem Thompson. Yep. Uh, I, I think Iman. Iman might have been there before. Yeah, Iman started as well. This is Iman. So it was just like. Pascal? Uh, Pascal, exactly. Pascal, okay. Yeah. So it was just, it was just, it was fate. I don't think you can really, because Kareem had, I think Kareem left Florida Memorial to come to Berkeley, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they well, both did. What was right. what just I mean just because I'm asking out of ignorance what was so attractive about Berkeley that was sort of like a mag why was it such a magnet for Caribbean players Yeah Well my two brothers went to Berkeley prior to me um Sherwin and Sean Thwaites uh mm-hmm. but you know Berkeley I think their faculty and their uh location I think is a big piece of it too you know Boston is a college town university town like the intellect, the intellect up there. Just, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go to high school at Boston Arts Academy for two years, which is a school started by a consortium of uh, of, of universities, Berkeley being one. And my teachers were, you know, teachers from Harvard and MIT. So I mean, I didn't have that experience living in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, I think location is part of it. I think uh, their facilities is another big part. You go to Berkeley and check out the practice facilities, the recording. Facilities, I mean, it's the top of the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then, you know, I mean, New York, of course, has great universities as well, but New York is a challenge because it doesn't really allow for you to be a student the way that Boston would, you know, just because of the entertainment hub of it, you know? So I've, I've heard other students say that. Like, I went to Boston because I, I feel like I had more of a chance to be a student. Um, I see. A student different from, like, who were some of the, were the teachers at Berkeley? Were they from a Caribbean culture themselves? Or was it, you were seeking something okay. completely different? No, I mean, I mean, well, Orville Wright, uh, rest in peace, uh, he's a pianist uh, from Trinidad. He, he was a chair of a department, him and Ron Reed, who was also a bass player and played on a lot of, like, recordings and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's still at Berkeley. Those were the two only Caribbean people on like uh, faculty at Berkeley that I can think of. So I'm pretty sure they they brought youth from Trinidad and tried to bridge that gap. But 
No, I just think it was, you know, who uh, was at Berkeley when I got there? Uh, Ralph Peterson Jr., uh, these are drummers who, who just recently passed. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Kim Plainfield, who taught Dave Weckl, um, Dave DeCenzo, Rod Morgenstein. If you see these headphones that drummers wear to protect their ears, Rod Morgenstein is the guy that developed those. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, those are the drummers that were there at the time. And I mean, since then, they've added Terry Lynn Carrington. Uh, I'm blanking on some names. I mean, they just added a, a bunch of different people. Mm-hmm. Victor Bailey on bass. I mean, the, their, their faculties are learning. I mean, it just is. <laughs> they, have, they have people that have, that have been dominating the industry for a long time, you know. Were you able to, to study under a faculty member who, uh, you know, taught different instruments? Like, were you able to choose or like, was it just pan? Well, I didn't study pan at Berkeley. No, oh, I so didn't drums. Pan at all. Strictly drum set. Mm. Um, pan is, you know, my, my family has been deeply rooted in, in pan. Right. Um, my, my dad's side and my mom's side. So on my mom's side, uh, 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 Mervyn Cashew Thorpe, he won the first two panoramas in Trinidad with Pan Am North Stars. Um, and my, right. uncle, my mom's. Uh, they played Hold On To Your Man and Mama, This Is Mass. So mm-hmm. the, those are the first two wins ever in, in Trinidad Panorama. So and so my mom's cousins played drums on that, as well as her brother, um, Lynn um, Fitzroy Barton, who passed last year. And uh, then my dad played as well, because they're all from the same neighborhood. So uh-huh. my family on both sides is a part of Panorama. Wait, hold Are they... So, so they uh, moved to the U.S. Are they uh, on here? Yep. Absolutely. I don't know exactly where my uncle is, but my man, my uncle and my dad are in that picture. Absolutely. Oh, and cashier. Wow. Wow. Yeah, my Listen, dad could tell you. He could tell you where he is. And I, I can't. I, that's another podcast. We're going to have to book that podcast because this, this, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, listen, there's a million records that are good to listen to. But in terms like when we talk about the first, like Dan is the man in the van, Mama Dis is Mom. So it's early. Yeah. And then hearing the development of the steel band and specifically tuning of the steel band, Anthony Williams oh. with Pan Am North Stars, like, you hear 1963, Dan is the man in the van. 1964, Mama Dis is... It's a different band. Yeah. Like, there's right. harmonics I, tuned in all of a sudden, and, like, the arrangement gets right. different, you know? I also I also want to put this out there, bro. Yeah. And I want the, I want the record to be known that I said this, <laughs> and I'm sure many, many men said this before, and we've had this discussion. Um, we, we talk about Bugsy, we talk about Jason, we talk about Bradley. To me, still, up to this very day, nobody's ever put out such a quality conceptualized arrangement that Tony Williams ever put out. Like, if you listen to that arrangement thoroughly, the orchestration in that arrangement Which is, one? is yet to be duplicated. Any one of those. Oh, okay. um, I think, um, I think uh, Mama, This Is Math is the, is the first. Which one is the first one, Sheldon? I think it's Dan. I think Dan is the first. Dan. Then Mama, This Is Math. Dan, hold on to you, man. I'm, that's that's my yeah, mistake. Dan yeah. is the man in the yeah. band was 63. Right. And then right. Mama, no, also, 64. Yeah, all those arrangements. Like, if you think about what he was doing at the time on that instrument, come on, man. And, it, like, nobody's up to this day has yet to be able to replicate that or even get anywhere close. Like, I mean, people have done different things and nobody's trying to beat anybody else, but that sound... Can't, I, I never heard anything of it. Like, when you listen to it thoroughly, this nobody's is, done anything. This is the, again, like when we were talking about putting the hand on the elephant, like I, the person who pointed that out to me, Andre, everything you're saying, I agree with 100%, is Andy Norrell. Andy was telling me about about um, Anthony Williams, and he's like, listen to the band in 63. 
Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's great. All of it. But he starts to tune in the harmonics in his notes in that mm-hmm. inner ear. And a whole year later, the entire band is, I mean, just like stop for two seconds and you guys know how long it takes to build a drum. Anthony Williams rebuilds an entire band from scratch. I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but he exactly now every now the bases have a different sonic profile than the leads do, than the than the mm-hmm. double seconds or double tenor. And you hear the arrangement starts to change. The arrangement now every the individual voices are even more individual and they have sections. And I'm just like that's it sounds a like a it sounds like a choir and an organist all right? together. But it's because of a tuning development that allowed mm-hmm. these instruments to feel separate in his head. And mm-hmm. like in one year, like one year, I think of evolution as uh, taking decades. It's like, no, Anthony Williams right. was just like that Atlas holding the world up with one in one year. Right. I mean, that blows right. my mind. Right. So for me, like everybody, you know, like again, everybody calls those, those first three names or Bradley, Jason Bogley, but for me, you got to put Tony Williams in that conversation every time. That's like that's like the basketball conversation about Bill Russell. Like people don't want to put, but he's there. He this man have what eleven rings or something. How do you not have him in that conversation as the greatest of all time? And Oscar Robertson, too. same thing. Right, and Kareem. Kareem, yeah. I mean, you got to put these guys in the conversation. Tony Williams, Earl Rodney, these guys. If you think about where we are today, and 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 it's even that comment, where we are today, we're like, I feel like we're forty years behind. Of what those yeah. guys are really doing from a harmonic and a, and a melodic place, you know, I mean, they, these guys are doing some crazy stuff. I mean, he he's also to me the, the father of standardization because all of their pans are fourths and fifths. Mm-hmm. Their whole layout is fourths and fifths. Cello, double second. Uh, it was five bass first, and then he he added mm. uh, the, he he added another drum for six, so it was three notes on each each pan. Okay. Um, yeah. Referring to Panam. No yeah, okay. yeah, Tony. Yeah, so Tony, oh, you know they had. Anything? I mean, people don't even know this part too. My, my dad, I mean, he's like a a history book within himself because he lived in he lived through most of this. But when Tony went with uh, Taspo, he was not a tuner. But if you check out the picture with Taspo, he he tuned his own instrument and brought it, and then they were like, "Oh wow!" And then he became a tuner with Taspo. Ah. So he's he's like to me he's like the Jordan of fans if you will. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, Ellie's more like the um, the Magic to me. That's in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I sort of want to ask like this talk a little bit about tuners here because because Yuko has you know Yuko was married to Cliff and right. you know, in my again like the hand on the elephant thing. I'm just going to keep saying that like mm-hmm. I grew up. Cliff was the first tuner, the person who built an instrument. He was the first person I ever met who ever built any instrument, regardless of whether it was a clarinet or a piano or a steel drum. Like I was like, whoa, you can do that. And then I learned about Ellie from him. And then I went to Trinidad and met Lincoln Newell. And he came into uh, and I saw like, and he was really old and he came to the yard and there was a bass pan with a hole rusted right through like one of the notes. And he made that note sound better than any note I've ever heard. And it, like, <laughs> And then I meet other folks, or I, I never met Anthony Williams, but I, I got to know, learn about him. Like for you guys, I, I sort of feel like tuners are where like there was a, a, like a lot of experimentation, which led to things like then that tuner Anthony Williams starting to experiment with arranging. I have this tiny sense that the tuning part of it kind of hit a plateau of where like the drums sounded good. We started to get some standardization. You could chrome things. There was a general sort of like you could go from even one tuner to the next, and there was a relative consistency over time. 
but the experimentation kind of, I don't want to say stagnated, that's the wrong word, but the musical experimentation kept going. And I'm kind of curious from you guys, am I, am I sort of calling something, am I misdiagnosing something there? No. Uh, Andre, let me go on this one. <laughs> and Yuko, please, Tom, if I've said something off base because you were married to a tuner, like you can tell me too. I mean, we should all find out why Tony stopped uh, innovating because he just stopped. <laughs> um, you know, he was working on on instruments, long skirt instruments, like all of that stuff is old. If you look at um, old okay. phase two, old phase two panorama, like their first uh, panoramas, you'll see phase two had oversized tenors. And, mm-hmm. and and I think the seventies or, or early eighties. So they, this is stuff that he he had already done. Have, do they still have deep skirt seconds? Yeah, oh uh, yeah, they do. They okay. do. They All do. Right. And I also believe that Phase Two is one of the first bands to have the four pan, which is an invention from Tony. But Tony lives about two streets or one street away from Boogsy, so that's why that relationship is so tight. Okay. So he he gifted them those pans, like, hey, you guys take this. So, I mean, this, this is so much history there, but we should, I think part of what I'm saying is we should find out why he stopped innovating because that man is a wealth of innovation. Um, uh, again, the uniformity of, of Pan Am all having fourth and fifth instruments. Um, uh, and I think he only used four voices too. A lead, double second, cello and bass. No tenor bass, no uh, quads, none of that stuff. He only used four, four voices. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, my I take mean, on that. Yeah. I, I guess I don't, I'm just asking, I don't have a good question here, but Andre, like maybe as an arranger, let me ask you, like what, is there anything you wish tuners were experimenting with now that would give you as an arranger, like the extra bit of voice that you've never been able to have? Like, what's the thing you feel is missing out of the steel orchestra that maybe for you as an arranger would be like, oh man, if we could just get that, that would be, that'd be rad. Um... But how do I say this without giving away too much? Well, I've been, okay. <laughs> I've been, you know, I've been afforded and awarded the opportunity to work with many great tuners to my little small tenure of being an arranger. And um, some of the noticeable, the more notable ones that come to mind every time I, I think about, like, how I want a band to sound is obviously Butch Kelman. And now, most recently, who's a real good friend of mine, Augustus Peters, who's actually also... Mm-hmm a like a understudy of Butch Kelman, right? And I've actually had a conversation with him on trying to get more of the, especially like the frontline instruments to sound like almost like brass, like a brass kind of sound, you know what I mean? And without saying much, we're on to something because it, it's happened already. He got something going. Mm. Right. Who he got something this? going. But you know, and, but before we go any further, uh, yeah. Sheldon talks on some real time. So when I first met, met Sheldon, we'd have a lot of discussions about pan and stuff. So my introduction system, like I said, I started like at the age of six around a lot of guys, and the guys that I grew up around were from bands like um, Guinness Cavaliers, which was George was from, and these guys. I mean, these guys oh, raised wow. me like, like raised me, um, Zambi. That's like one of the first times I talked to Sheldon. I was like, yeah, you know, I learned to play seconds from my guy called Zambi from Pan Am North. He's like, Zambi, oh, that's my dad's best friend. You know what yeah. I mean? So these guys are the guys that I grew up with. Um, Frank Mayers, he's from um, West Side City Symphony, right? So these guys are like pioneer men. Mr. Bass, he's a real invaders man. You know what I mean? From way back with Ellie and them guys. 
and he knows actually Cliff really well too. Mm. So when I was exposed to these guys and these this information, I was exposed from a very very young age. So a lot of people ask me, yo, how do you know about these things, and how do you how do you have that feel? I was like, yo, this was, and this is not me looking for it. This is like, now nah, come here, you gotta play this, play like this, or hold your hand like this, mm-hmm. listen to this, listen to that. I mean, listen to um, Tokyo, listen to them bands from back in the day. So I grew up embedded like in me from a young age. You know what I mean? And that's how a lot of the similarities that me and, shit, me and Sheldon say, even though that his family is more closely associated with it, I, I share a lot of the same similar stories because that's what was taught to me. You know what I mean? I remember there would be days right after, sometime I would even leave school because at one point, Adler said, you know, I was right across the street from my junior high school. And at that time, I'm like 11, 12, or something like that, right? 12, 12, 13. So I would just leave school and just go on the planet all day hmm. and wait for them to drop me home like seven, six, eight o'clock at night. Hmm. I'm in there and I'm hearing all kinds of stories about who who felt this one with this and back any day or this and who, you know, we ain't going to get into that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So those, those stories is what kind of brought a full circle for me. So without those, without that foundation of knowledge, I couldn't, take things to where I've taken it today. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be able to um yeah, yeah, to, to have the same value and to, to to produce the music that I produce without that information. And with that being said, man, I mean I also wanna uh, uh, uh put a special shout out to Cliff because I met Cliff back in two thousand and I wanna say twelve or thirteen. And he is probably I've met a lot of people in my life and he's the most genuine person ever in it. Oh. Like genuinely would, like he would call me. There was a time, there was a period I wasn't even working. I wasn't doing no steel band. I wasn't like I was actually depressed. Sheldon can remember this. Um like Quent. I wasn't playing no music, no gig, no nothing. And and Cliff would call me at least once a month just to check up on me. <laughs> Whether he gets me or not, he would just leave a voicemail, hey, I call in there boy, I call me back, thing, thing. And I have to call him back because if I don't call him back, the next time he talks to me, it's problem. Did every, <laughs> every, I, I used to get those same calls, uh, and I would call yeah. him. I would call him too. I mean, he was one of my earliest mentors. <clears throat> I was telling Yuko before we logged on. I mean, the first time I met Cliff was in I was 17 years old and in Dover, Ohio, middle mm-hmm. of a cornfield. Cliff walks in. I'm he's the only black guy in the room, and I walked up to him and I was like, before I could be like, "Hi, my name is." He's like, "Look at these scars on my head." Mm-hmm. And he's yelling at me that that the cops used to beat him, and I'm like, you know, I again, I'm just like, hi, I came from band practice, you know, like I don't, I have no idea who this guy is, and we developed a relationship over 20 years where I could call him, and he would call me, and he would just be like, this Cliff, and it'd be click, <laughs> you know, that would be the voice message I have, and I saved them all. I have 35 voice messages of Cliff being like, this Cliff. Cliff is like the you know, godfather of Penn. Yeah, yeah. He just He's like he, the godfather of Penn. And I found out before I went to Trinidad, or after I went to Trinidad, I found out he called a million people in phase two and told them to look out for me. Like mm-hmm. sounds like him. I don't like I'm very privileged in all of the ways, but I'm I'm very grateful that I got to meet people like Cliff. You know, the person who taught me how to play double seconds was not Matt Dudak. It was Almond St. Rose from phase two. Right. I remember Almond so, looking at me and being like, I, I did a, I did a one-handed roll as he was teaching me something. Be, well, Black Harmony is who you're talking about, right? 
Harmon St. Rose, I yeah. think, is Black Harmon. Black Harmon. I think Black Harmon's real. Yeah, that's his real name. Oh, yeah, Harmon was smoke, smoking a joint, teaching, yeah, me, the, Black teaching me, the, me the music. And I did a one-handed roll, and I couldn't remember what the next flick was, and he, or the next ra- phrase was, and he, he just screamed at the top of his lungs at me. Like, this is my second day in Trinidad. Screamed at the top of his lungs. Turn your goddamn computer on and stop with those one-handed rolls. We don't do that here. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't. This is like, I didn't want to offend anybody. I didn't know. It's like I just saw Andy Norrell do it once on a concert. Like, is that? I didn't, you know? But, but yeah, those experiences changed my life. Like, well, I, yeah, I, I got to take this time to to big up uh, Cliff as well because, um, you know, um, me being from DC. One of my dreams as a kid, and, and you guys talked about this before, about, you know, just kind of, if you know, being at the hip. So I would say, I don't know what part of the elephant I'm on, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm somewhere near the hip still, right, at this point. And uh, Cliff is the reason that in 2015, I played with Phase 2 as the drummer. Mm-hmm. And not many American drummers have, have played with field bands in Trinidad for Panorama. And that was only possible because of Cliff mm-hmm. and Boogie, both. You know, Cliff is the person that put in a word for me to get that opportunity. Yeah, um, he did that. So, uh, so many yeah. people, yeah, yeah. And you guys, again, he's like teary-eyed. But, you know, I can no, definitely yeah. say he's somebody who cares so much for young people. And especially when, you know, a lot of elders may not have shared uh, knowledge right, right. or that much you know, love with younger people. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make sure to do that, especially to those who were working so hard, you know, and with so much talent. So, yeah, well, thank you for sharing those stories. I'm, yeah, personally oh. really touched. Well, one of the things that yeah. has come up, um, I just want to be respectful of you guys' time. We've already stolen about 45 minutes of it, and I want to, I want to make sure that I get you out of here uh, in a respectful amount of time. Um, uh, Yuko, I, I want to leave the floor to you if you have um, any other questions for these uh, guys. Something I've been thinking so much is like different pan people from uh, different parts of the world. And I was thinking about the United States. I'm more familiar with people who have gone through school systems, you know, people who learned steel band in high school, went on to college to learn steel pan in high uh, college, um, and then realized I don't know too many um, Caribbean American people who play pan. And there's just one person in Sheldon, you know, Malika Green. Uh, of course, from Malika. Yeah, yeah, Malika, I believe, is the only close friend who I have um, who is um, West Indian American. And, you know, I was just, I've been just thinking about how different the two cultures are. So we're all American. Okay. And there's more, like, say, Brooklyn based, Miami based, West Indian steel pan uh, players and then there are say um, majority of them are white american uh, steel pan players and the background is totally different um, how they express themselves uh, through music is different and something i was realizing um through uh listening to you is you are connected to the culture and something that um <laughs> um you know, uh, say NSSBE, we had a conference about two or three weeks ago, and I was on a panel discussion, and it was about um, uh, honoring the cultural heritage uh, of steel bands, and how I was viewing it, how I was thinking of it, 
I feel is closer to your views. And I think the reason is because I was very close to Cliff, you know, got to understand his background, the culture, the music. And I'm not saying, you know, people who didn't have that, um, uh, that, uh, you know, opportunity to get to know somebody uh, from the, the Caribbean well, isn't trying hard to understand the music and the culture. Um, and where I'm going with this, I'm not sure at the moment. Um, how do you guys view uh, the pen players, arrangers, uh, directors within the United States, but you know, uh, different backgrounds? And I feel we're all trying to understand each other, trying to come together, but there's you know distinct differences. And I feel our mindset is different as well. Um, so how, how do we, like, is it necessary? Is it important for all of us to come together? Um, or, you know, like, so I just wanted to hear your views on just that topic. Yeah, sorry, I don't know if I made sense, but. No, you made, you made sense. Uh, okay. so you want to go first? Or... <laughs> go ahead, man, go ahead. I was going to say, um, you go ahead. Yeah, well, so you're talking about uniting, and we had a, a, a lot a open discussion the other day about this. And because the, the instrument was, was birthed in Trinidad, you kind of look to Trinidad to be the, uh, the source of that uh, gathering of unity. But the question is, um, do they see a need for that unity? Um, I, and I don't know the answer to that. Uh, my hope is yes, but uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. Now, in regards to what's happening in America, I mean, yeah, we need, we need the unity uh, because just for the simple fact of location, we all live in the same space and we all, you know, you know I represent Pan in DC. You guys, uh, Dre and, and Josh, you represent Pan in New York. You know, Yuko, you and you're in um, Illinois. You know, I even made the point of saying, if I do, go do a gig in Delaware, I represent the instrument because it's such a new instrument. So I have to know the history and give it to you know the the patrons that come up and ask questions about it. I have to have the information. Um, so like you know, that's even an issue as well. But we 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 ended up through our conversation, we ended up finding out that. Um, there, there's a whole pamphlet about the pan and definitions of words and, you know, things that exist that Trinidad um, compiled in 2015 that we should all have access to, but we don't. So like, you know, there's, there's just so many things that, uh, that are missing from the equation. Um, and still, still, you know, we had a conversation about, you know, is a panist a musician, you know, a couple, a couple weeks ago. Like, it's so sad to even have that conversation. Um, and the reason I'm saying it's so sad is because some people were, were, were like literally debating, no, a panist is not a musician. Like, I'm like, really? By definition, it is, <laughs> you know? Um, and, I mean, I just, it, that, I, I just sorry, think- Sorry to interrupt you I mean, that, that kind of, 
That is, <laughs> yeah. That just feels like a, yeah. you just asked me to swallow a pine cone. Like, yeah. No, yeah. I can't. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me that that anybody would ever consider. You know, there's eight year olds in Trinidad who can play circles around me. Right. And that doesn't mean I'm a right. bad person. That's just true. <laughs> you know, and that 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 means that they're musicians. Like, and why this definition has to be narrow, I don't understand. You know. Well, this was brought, and, and but see, this is the scary part. We even had we had the discussion because of something that was written, that somebody wrote on a post that we had, mm-hmm. and Drake can speak to it because he responded to the post, and this is somebody that's an elder mm. in the community. That's the scary part. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we we have a long way to go, and I, I'm going to go on the record in saying that you know, as a Trini American, because both of my parents were born in Trinidad and St. James. We need to, we, as in the attorney, we need to do a better job, period. And I'm not gonna um, put any water in my mouth to say that. We need to do a better job um, at at galvanizing the the globe to to help us push this instrument to the forefront so that we all benefit. You know, that all the the 10,000 hours that myself and Dre have put in is not in vain. And it's not just one of us at the table, but all of us at the table to celebrate Pan and and to to really be able to, because this is another piece about Pan that's understated. Pan has saved my brother's life, my life, and my other brother's life. You know, Mine from too. from mine, the street, mine as well. From yeah. DT, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I have so many friends that have been in and out of the prison system, and and mm-hmm. I could have been in that same situation. But I was inside practicing. <laughs> right. You know, and if you ask my exactly. brothers, they can tell you that for themselves as well. And that's something that we don't really touch on um, much about. And just, you know, pan in America and what that looks like. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, uh, it, it really starts from the source, meaning Trinidad. And I, I, would, I just pray, I pray every day that we do a better job at, at galvanizing all the resources, you know, globally. And again, you need to find out if, if they see the need to unite Pan globally. Well, I mean, we do it in, in the States for sure, but we, do they, you know, or, or do we, I should say, not they, we. Andre, I got a question for you, and this is, I'm scared to ask it because I don't know that I want, I mean, I want the truth, but I'm afraid of what the truth is. Um, mm. You were a guest at, at NYU a couple years ago, I don't know, what, like mm. four or five years ago, um, and... Um, we played a few of your arrangements and you soloed mm-hmm. and I, that was sort of uh, after a couple years of me, you know, I started teaching at NYU in 2005 um, when I was in grad school and when Kendall was a student of mine, I think, I, you know, again, like your hand on the elephant, I wasn't super aware of the pan scene in New York in general, the Labor Day panorama thing. I had just moved there. Like, again, I just didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And then I made, started being like, okay, there's only so much I can bring to the table. Again, having been born in a cornfield, I don't, I didn't grow up with Calypso music around me. I grew up with Billy Joel and Bob Seger, for better or worse, and Metallica. My first live concert was Metallica with my parents, you know. But like, when I went, when I went to NYU and started teaching there, I was like, okay, this is important to me that I have other people who sort of help me fill the gaps. Like, and that's going to be people like Crossfire. It's going to be Dougie. That's going to be Kendall. That's mm-hmm. going to be Quint. That's going to be Sherwin was a guest one year. Like, and you know, Sheldon, you were there. Like, Andre, when, what are, when you walked away from the NYU, 
time. Like, what was something mm-hmm. that, you know, even as NYU is close to that sort of scene as almost any university can be <laughs> in the United yeah. States? Like, when you walked away, what were the things that were the most obvious to you that were just not there? And not as a, like, oh, these people are idiots and they just don't. Like, what was the thing that just you I can't sort of recreate in the room um, that you maybe noticed um, when you came in that space as opposed to a space in Long Island with AdLib? Um, well, okay. So well, at that time I was working with Peso. So at that point I was actually establishing a, my own musical foundation within a steel band, brand new. So I didn't really come into any expectations for NYU. I mean, I, I, I've also dealt with the school system before in terms of, you know, I worked with NIU. I've mm-hmm. been a guest performer there as well. So I don't, I don't really go into the situation thinking like, oh, I can't do much with this group or they're not qualified or they, they don't play as well. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I, I take it as this is a learning experience for everybody mm-hmm. and they're trying to get and gain as much knowledge as possible from me. So I think, I, 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 honestly, I honestly pay more attention to what I have to give than what I'm trying mm-hmm. to take from anybody else mm-hmm. in that environment. Um, and you know, maybe that's the question that should be really asked. Did I did I give anything to the situation? Well, you know, versus yeah, I mean, yes. did I expect did I expect to get anything back? No, I didn't. I wasn't really paying attention to it that much. You know, well, I think a, um, I think the a, program is good. I, I, and and not to cut you, but um, sorry, no. I also like uh, you know, one of one of our little brothers, you could say, was a student at the time, Christian Mahado, mm-hmm. and to to see him grow from literally not knowing anything about the instrument and coming into our little bit of tutelage that we gave and that knowledge that we've given him before he got to the NYU program and to see him progress was like, yeah, man. You know I mean, especially, I think the year before he took a solo and um, I think one of the show ones, show ones that he did. And yeah. it was like, you know, that actually almost brought a tear to my eye because I remember this kid, you know, he didn't even want to play too loudly. You know, right. he's scared to he's scared to hit the pen. Now he's solo he sounds cohesive. He's saying something. His language is there. You know what I mean? So I you know, I must commend for that that, you know, you guys are grooming some great players. Well, it's one Absolutely. of the things mean, at NYU too, I think um I am not fishing for compliments here here, Andre, and I really do want you to like if there is something. No, I'll I'll let like, you know. Don't, don't but worry. The, but <laughs> what was also great about about um Chris is like Chris played with that same energy on the timpani and the xylophone as he did with mm. Pan. You know, that was the thing, mm-hmm. what he brought to the classical world, like playing four mallet marimba solos, which are like, right. you know, the way he would play like, you know, a, a piece by Minoru Miki on marimba, he's a Japanese composer. Like the way Chris mm. plays those pieces on, on marimba is like, oh, you've worked with blah, blah, blah. You've, you've played Andre's music a lot. And now mm. I hear I hear Andre in this Japanese marimba piece. You know, like mm. that Dang. to me is really fascinating. And But I think ethically as an educator, and Yuko is now thinking about this at NIU, like what is what should my job be? Like there's the thing I feel like I want it to be, but then I'm also fortunate to be at a place like NYU, which is a subway right away from one of the largest Caribbean populations in the world outside of mm. Trinidad and Tobago. It would be asinine of me not to try to sort of bring as much of that into NYU as I can. Um, but I have limitations, you know, and, and I just, I, what are there in your, in your travels throughout the U.S., is there anything that you feel like, you know, I, I went to an all-white high school. I think there were three black kids in the school. None of them were in the steel mm-hmm. band. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my teacher brought made a point to bring in people like Cliff and Ray Holman, who I met when I was in high school. But you know, what what are some of the things that you think maybe young bands? You know, that's very common in the United States. If you're a flute professor or a flute teacher and you get hired to teach, you know, high school band, it is really common in Iowa for that flute teacher to be said to be told in a staff meeting. By the way, you have a steel band that meets on Tuesday nights. Mm. So now well, I think a- that's I think that's 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 what needs to improve ultimately. Like nothing specific with the qualifications, but you know, there's a lot of us, you know, like you said, the Caribbean American community that went to school and we got the degrees. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like Yuko stated stated earlier, that there's this disconnect from the educational community, especially within the universities, from us, you know what I mean? From people like Quint. Quint is a a, a genius, and he teaches at a high school charter school. Like, he's supposed to be getting paid a hundred and something thousand dollars a year. You know what I mean? Absolutely. (laughs) To be Sheldon. So should Sheldon, and so should myself. And we had the qualifications. We we, we grew up in this. Like, you know, this is not a knock to you or you, but, you know, for some reason, we're not we're not getting those opportunities the same way. Um, maybe that's something where we could come together and now start to work together to, to help us. You know what I mean? Help us help you so that we, we could build a, actually a better program collectively, countrywide, nationwide. You know what I mean? If we wow. work together, put you know, some of us in some schools, put you in some schools, and then we develop a, a crazy cur- curriculum. So we're saying like, that this to be the standard of what a panish should come out of the schools looking like or sounding like. You know what I mean? I think it's I think it's uh I think that's where the improvement needs to come to. Because there is definitely um there's also uh uh there's a there's a performance gap from mm-hmm. those that are not of the Caribbean American diaspora to those that are. Um and I think it's I think it's noticeable, but I think if we work together, if we come together and you know what I mean share the ideas to the table and and provide the the right opportunities to the right people. I think you know that would change the whole game. I want to. I want to um, also. And not and not just Caribbean American. Not to cut you. Not just a Caribbean. There's a lot of people in the Caribbean too with the qualifications. People in Trinidad that have the qualifications, they don't get the opportunities. So I think that's that's where the global mindset of trying to unite comes in. You know what I mean? Like let's let's not let's not isolate anyone. Let's come together, figure out, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from. If you could do the job, if you're qualified, if you're killing, it's your gig. I like well, let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you this question, though, because New York probably is the number one hub outside of Trinidad for fan players. <clears throat> or, or maybe number two. Number one or number two. Between, there, between New York and the UK. Yeah. And I always ask myself, there's so many fan players in Brooklyn. And just in New York, Long Island as well, um, or in the boroughs. And, you know, why, I, why don't more of them participate in the universities and, 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 and try to go the route of an NYU or even just go to the Blue Note and, and go to a jam session? Like, I, I feel like we need to figure out these things because this will help Pan grow. Like, the more educated Pan is, the better. But, you know, I don't understand why there aren't more pan players from the New York pan team that have, 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 I don't know if you, I don't even know if they reached out to Josh to say, Hey, I, I want to come to NYU or honestly, um, you know, Kendall's Kendall's a really, I mean, he's like a brother to me and I, and he was a student at NYU, but he was through the mm-hmm. composition department. 
Like he, right. he studied composition there with Michael right. Jordan and Julia Wolf, and now he's finishing his comp degree at Princeton as his doctoral degree. And so he just joined the steel band at NYU because he heard that we had one. Like I didn't know anything. I was just like, I was a grad student at Yale and was just like, I'm coming down to teach. There's like an eight piece steel band at the time, you know, and Kendall was just like a kid showing up. And then he was like, oh, I run this band or I, I arranged music for this band called Crossfire. And I was like, oh, cool. And so he was like, can you come over? I like the way you drill NYU. Can you come over and drill Crossfire? And I was like, I don't know what that means, but sure. Next thing I know, I'm in front of a 90-piece band of all Caribbean folks, and I'm the only white guy in the room, telling them what to do with their music. And that was just like, no, 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 you, Kendall, that's not, oh, you know. But then I got, right. you know, you build trust, you learn that, you know, the community is what it is. And so, and then I met Chris, and Chris came up to me after one of the Brooklyn Panoramas. I was, you know, the show had ended, and AdLib, I think, had just finished, and he came up to me, and he's like, hey, you're at NYU, right? And I said, yeah, I run the Steel Band program there. And he said, I'd love to join the program but I don't know how to play marimba or any of the other stuff. And so that to me was the first red flag of like, oh, you only are ever going to approach me if you think, if because you think the other stuff is too crazy to deal with. Like the idea that you might have to learn, like it needs to be clearer that, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't know how to play marimba, that's fine. We can teach you. <laughs> that's okay. But I do feel mm -hmm. like that sort of implied barrier of mm -hmm. like, you see the program is focusing on this other stuff and you feel like, well, I don't know how to play orchestral snare drum, and I don't know who Rimsky-Korsakov is, so I, no, I'm not even going to try. I think that happens a lot. And it's incumbent upon me and NYU to put out there people, to show people like Chris, of like, if you can play double seconds by the way Chris does, I'm confident I can teach you how to play timpani. And if we can right. sort of push that approach, then I wonder how, much, how many more people just feel comfortable even reaching out I mean to me, you know? Yeah, there's got to be at least 15 or 20 other pan players in the New York pan scene that could be studying at NYU right now, in my opinion. I don't live there, but I, or that's NIU. What I see. Or NIU. Or NIU. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I'm just, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know what you mean. But it's yeah, the but crazy it's a, part. Chris, Chris actually went to both of those schools. Yep, I was just going to say, I was going to mention about Chris. He is a student at NIU right now, and he's a wonderful musician, but mm -hmm. he also has a wonderful uh, leadership skills. So, um, yeah, it's been wonderful to have him. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is the kind of college degree that some people may have, say, for like K through 12, you have to have, you know, music ed degree. So say that a flute teacher who, uh, you know, got the position to teach steel band, you know, like do um, people from, say, uh, New York, you know, get have music ed degree. Because if they do, then they will be able to apply for those jobs. You know, university mm -hmm. jobs, then like, you know, I don't know if uh, the majority of times you need percussion degree. You right. know, um, so that's just something I thought about. Yeah, listening that's to true the too. And That's yeah, good to know. know. Yeah. Yeah, the music, ed, the music, I will say there's a couple things. So let me just like, I think for the record, say that if anyone on this screen hears of anybody who even has like a remote tiny interest in coming to NYU to study classical percussion or steel pan. Mm -hmm. um, we are starting, like Kendall is a new hire there. Um, we're sort of in, still in the onboarding process where officially next year, he and I are gonna be co-directors of the steel band program. But you can yeah. also go and study with a specific pan focus at NYU where you study specifically with Kendall. Like not that I won't chime in or help, but like, again, there's just authority that Kendall can bring to a certain type of pan playing that I can't. And I want that to be an avenue for students at NY and for Kendall, like to have get his chops in that world mm -hmm. build up. So 
just to put it out there, if you ever hear, like, you guys tell people, if they if they are interested, like, yes, reach out to me. Give them my phone number and tell them to bug the snot out of me. Because cool. there is there is a little bit of groundwork. If you've never played Marimba, if you've never played Timpani, like, I'll come in and help you out. Like, that's I can get you ready for an audition so that when you come in the room, you're not afraid and you're not insecure. That is a lot of the stuff that I felt like I had to talk with Chris about. It's like, bro, you're going to be fine. Like, just, and he's like, but I can't. Bro, you're gonna be fine. Trust. And then once we get him in the room, it's fine. But I just right. let's start with encouragement. If you see anybody, give them my phone number and tell them to to call me. Yeah. So, I'm also gonna add another layer. And and NIU as well. Yeah, and NIU. We're only saying that because it's it's East Coast. No, no. Right, and it's a subway <laughs> right away. So if there was a subway line that goes right. all the way out to DeKalb, we'll start right. to we'll start to <laughs> put that. <out> right. <laughs> I want to add one more thing to what you guys are saying. Um, we also have to remember, you know, steel band is, is, is a steel band culture is coming from a place of disadvantage financially. Um, I'll, start to, I'll speak for myself. You know, I was able to get the full scholarship at Berkeley and I don't know if I would have been able to go to Berkeley if I didn't, if I didn't have that scholarship opportunity. Um, we've spoken to a lot of people that um, have, attempted to get into Berkeley, but they just, the financial, I mean, they've gone as far as far as asking the prime minister of their country to help and they haven't, they weren't able to get the financial um, backing. So I think that's another piece of it. I think that's another obstacle for a lot of the PAM players, maybe even in, in Brooklyn is like, they just don't have the, the means either. Um, so I'm very fortunate to have been able to, to have the life that I have and, and overcome a lot of those obstacles. But you know, maybe if there's a way to bridge those gaps as well, like, you know, pushing them to grants or, or just making them feel comfortable like they can possibly do it. I mean, this is something that that's just a part of the American culture. Like, you know, a lot of people could have gone to universities, but they there just there's a fear for whatever reason to even apply <laughs> or, you know, like there's a lot of different hardships in that area as well. Well, um, I, I never would have gone to work with a steel band in Brooklyn unless Kendall helped me get over my fear. I mean, right. like, and so if it works like that for me, then it's got to work right. like that the opposite way too. The opposite and way, right. That's, we have to have that empathy and understand that that's a situation. Yeah. And, and I would say that like, so Pan in Motion, uh, there's an organization in Brooklyn, Pan in Motion that I work with that Kendall mm -hmm. and Jerry Guy and Arisha John and Trisha, like there's, we have a scholarship program now that we're starting that folks can apply to. Um, oh. NYU, I think in the fall, we're starting plans to put in a scholarship in memory of Dougie. Um, oh, wow. To specifically oh. for somebody from the Brooklyn scene who, you know, just again, to, to make connections and keep those ties a little stronger, but also not, I mean, NYU's 30 grand a semester. I mean, like right. there are scholarships, That's there it. are grants you can get, but it's like, man, that price tag, I get it. I totally get it. So, mm -hmm. but there are ways to sort of circumnavigate that, circumvent that. Um, but all I can say is if you have anybody in your worlds that come up, please do not hesitate to put them in touch with you go first. Yeah, I'll direct the, the people to, and we also have, you know, graduate assistantship, uh, tuition waiver, things like that to assist students as well. So, well, but, also let's, shout, let's shout out Liam too, man. Liam, yes, Liam. Absolutely. Yes. Liam holds it down. You know, oh, I mean, yes, especially yeah. from somebody as a son of the soil, you know what I mean? He he does his he does his due diligence of keeping the culture at a standard that's that's yeah. appreciated and applauded. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you gotta give Liam his, his kudos all the time, bro. Absolutely. When I 
I, when I see Sheldon Thwaites, person. when I see Sheldon Thwaites on drums, I think that man has no filter in front of him that's keeping him from doing whatever he wants. And then when I see Liam play <laughs> pan, lead pan, I'm like, my hands will never do that. So I just need to accept that about that's a truth and it's okay. Um, Yuko, do you have anything final before we wrap up here? I want to respect these guys' time and get them out of here. Um, no, I, it was my honor to be speaking with three of you guys. Um, you know, I hadn't really had a chance to talk to uh, Caribbean American people. So thank you so, so much for your time and sharing your, you know, um, thoughts and experiences and everything. And yeah, and hopefully we can continue. Uh, thank you thank you guys for having us yeah absolutely where can pleasure, folks, guys. if they want to learn more about the arrangers corner where can they find out about what your work what you guys are working on facebook page um we have the arrangers corner facebook page we have our personal pages um sheldon thwaites on instagram elevation 22 right, right. Mm -hmm. on instagram also also if you go on our facebook page you can sign up for our uh our newsletter basically signing up for our emailing list yeah, we'll send you all of our information, like all of our updates on whatever shows we have coming up, any like, you know, special deals that we have coming up on our previous recordings. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then we have giveaways too. We try we try to give give back to the community as much as possible. You know, Spix, uh, we have some plans coming up to give back to some steel bands, um, drum sets and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah instruments. So. Mm -hmm. Coming up next, yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, Yuko, you're like the sister I never had. Thank you for your time today. Um, Sheldon and Andre, I, I, I really um, have been in a, a bit of a depression this year, not being able to be in the room with you all in one, even if it's just to walk by you and sort of like fist bump on the way to the next thing in Brooklyn. Like I, I, I really am. I underestimated how much I prioritize just seeing you guys and like Andre, like seeing you work with your band and like coming walking by on the side street before you guys roll up and seeing you in there and just sort of nodding and you being like, I'm super stressed out. Like those sorts of things. Like I really cannot wait until we can get back yeah. in that. Even if we I could wait, I could wait, I could wait, I could wait for that stressed out part. <laughs> Wait. Well, I listen, I, 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 I thank you for your time. Please give uh, Quint a big hug for me. And, um, yeah. and please stay, stay safe. Say later, Quint. Yeah, Quint. <laughs> Tell Quint I'm working on that $100,000 job for for him. Um, I don't know that it exists. I've never seen it. But I'll, I'll see if I can scrounge one up for him. But uh, stay safe and healthy. And thank you again for your time. Yeah, man. Peace. Yeah. Good thing. All right. All right. Blessings, guys. See you later. Bye-bye. second parcel here and it's not ringing enough for me. <laughs>